Well, it's, uh, it's good to be back with you. Last Sunday, I had the opportunity to preach for uh, a friend of mine in the presbytery who is on sabbatical. So, of course, that meant I missed being with you uh, last weekend, last Sunday, uh, the holiday weekend. Uh, nonetheless, this does remain a time of year where we are often uh, thinking about freedom. Now, freedom is something that we deeply value, uh, that we celebrate, and, and rightly so, uh, because freedom is a gift, and also because it, it's something that we are wired for. Uh, today, we're going to talk about freedom. Uh, our text this morning is Galatians chapter 5. We'll be in the second part of chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 26. Now, just to, to help orient you to our passage, the, the first part of chapter 5 uh, Paul's emphasis is that we've been set free, that we've been called to freedom. And then in this second part of chapter 5, where we are today, Paul's emphasis is about how to live as those set free. Uh, how we learn to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ. Booker T. Washington former slave set free. Uh, Booker T. Washington said this, It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. Well, that's the, the truth and, and really the tension that we encounter in our passage today, uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 26. And before we hear this part of God's word, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Almighty God, uh, as we come before you once again uh, this morning uh, to hear from you, to hear from your word, uh, we would ask that once again you would uh, open your word to us and to us to your word, uh, that we might hear and believe uh, the good news uh, of our freedom in Christ, uh, that we might learn more and more uh, to live as those who have been set free. And so today, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So Galatians uh, chapter 5 Beginning with verse 16, hear the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, that those who make it a practice of doing such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's Word. Again, former slave set free, Booker T. Washington. It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. Well, I remember seeing this truth up close and personal in, in a very a powerful way. It was the summer of 1994. I was on a college missions trip to Ukraine. And I saw it in my new friend, Igor. Igor Yeremenko. Uh, Igor was my roommate uh, that summer at the Kiev Pedagogical Institute. Uh, I soon learned that he was a former Soviet soldier, uh, that he actually drove army tanks for the Soviet Union. So he had obviously grown up under communism, uh, the Cold War, and as you know, communism uh, fell uh, in late 1991. And so here I was just two and a half years after the fall of the USSR living with a former Soviet soldier. And of course, I, I was very interested to talk about freedom, and we talked about it a lot. But what I remember most is one of our very first conversations about this newfound freedom was I just remember Igor shaking his head and saying, yeah, we've been set free. The papers have been signed and ratified and filed away. But Camper, we don't know how to live in freedom. We still live, if you look around, we still live as if we are people in bondage. Well, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians, really he's writing into a, a very similar situation. And as God's word comes to us today, as is the church, uh, it also comes to us in a very similar situation. And what I mean by that is this. That in Christ, through his death and resurrection, yes, we have been set free. Praise God. We have been set free. But we must also continually learn to live in that freedom. Well, today in our passage, Paul addresses three questions about freedom. Why, what, and how? Why do we struggle to live in freedom? Uh, what, what's the nature of this battle for freedom? And how do we learn to live in freedom? Uh, why do we struggle uh, to live in freedom? What's the nature of the battle for it? And how do we learn to live in it? And so first, why do we struggle to live in freedom? Why, why do we struggle to live as those set free in Christ? Let's take a look again, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read them again, slightly more literal translation, but uh, you'll be able to follow along easy enough. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these oppose each other 
so that you do not do the things you want to do. Well, here we encounter two keywords. Two keywords, flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. Now, many, many biblical scholars, uh, among them that I read this past week, John Stott, Tim Keller, J.I. Packer, but many, many more, often speak in terms of the two natures that are at work within every Christian. Our fallen sinful nature and our regenerate new nature. Okay, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. So let's talk about the word flesh for a moment. Flesh comes from the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. And this this Greek word, whenever we see it in the New Testament, uh, opposed to the spirit, it never, in those, uh, those instances, it never refers to our physical nature as opposed to our spiritual nature. Rather, it refers to the sin-desiring aspect within us as opposed to the God-desiring aspect. And so here, in our passage, flesh is not about our physical bodies, but rather about our fallen, sinful nature. Okay, so let's, uh, let's touch on the word spirit. No surprise here. Spirit, of course, refers to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The one who resides in, who dwells within every single Christian. Therefore, the Spirit can be thought of as the renewed Christian heart, made alive by the Spirit. In other words, here, Spirit refers to our regenerate new nature. Now, you may be familiar, but elsewhere, Ephesians 4 Uh, Paul refers to these uh, two natures again. He refers to them as the old self and the new self. And so what I'm getting at is that, that each of us, that we've each got the old self, our fallen condition, the flesh, and the new self, our renewed condition, the spirit. And there's a battle going on between them. There's a battle going on within You see, there's often a war raging within your own heart. So let me stick with my Cold War theme for a moment. Nothing says Cold War quite like the movie classic Rocky IV. Rocky IV, that's right. The American Rocky Balboa versus the Soviet Ivan Drago. Now, the theme song of that year, 1985, the the theme song for Rocky IV... Uh, was by the Grammy Award-winning, Academy Award-nominated American rock group Survivor. Now, you probably know them best for their earlier Rocky III hit, Eye of the Tiger. I'm sure you have worked out to that, gotten psyched up for a Bible study listening to that. I mean, that's how I roll. (laughs) But their number one hit, their number one hit this particular year was entitled Burning Heart. Burning heart, and it really speaks to this conflict that we're talking about. So listen to these lyrics. Two worlds collide, rival nations. It's a primitive clash, venting years of frustrations. Bravely we hope against all hope. There is so much at stake. Seems our freedom's up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? 
Is it east versus west or man against man? And what I'm getting at is this. What I'm getting at is that Rocky IV is always taking place within your heart. It's always taking place inside. Two worlds collide, rival natures. It's an ongoing clash, venting years of frustrations. There's so much at stake, seems our freedom's up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? Rival natures. Freedom's up against the ropes, but does the crowd understand? And that's what Paul is addressing here. He's asking us, the crowd, do you understand? Do you understand what is truly going on within your own heart? Do you understand the conflict within? Well, what's going on within? What's going on? Well... Here's a short summary. You see, before you became a Christian, you only had a sinful nature. And with only one nature, that means that there is no rival. But then you put your trust in Jesus. And the Spirit came in to reside within your own heart. In fact, changing your heart, giving you a new nature. And though the old nature is defeated, it's not yet dead, not yet destroyed. And so this conflict began. And so now, verse 17, you as the believer, you desire, you've got a new nature and you desire to live for God. And yet still find yourself at times following your sinful nature so that you do not do the things you want to do. And I want to be clear, Paul's clear, that this is every single one of us. Okay, all of us. Paul himself even speaks of his own struggles in Romans 7. And so part of the reason that we still struggle is because we don't fully understand the conflict within. Well, let's dive a little deeper and seek to better understand. Uh, in verses 19 to 21, uh, Paul lists, it's a long list, 15 works of the flesh. Now, it, it's clearly not an exhaustive list. Uh, Paul notes that, uh, verse 21, uh, saying that these are among other sins. And what I want to highlight today is this, about this list of sins, is that they are all actions and attitudes with a common root. Okay, they all have a common root. That brings us to our next question. So next, what's the nature of this battle for freedom? What's the, the precise nature of the battle within well, we come to another key word in our passage, and that word is desire. Desire, and that's the common root that I just mentioned. And understanding the word desire will help us better understand the precise nature of the battle within. And it's a battle between the desires of the flesh against the spirit, against our new nature. So let's, uh, let's talk about the word desire for a moment, and, and in particular this, uh, this phrase, the desires of the flesh. Well, desire comes from the Greek word epithumia. Epithumia. In some uh, translations, some Bible versions, uh, the word is it, translated lust, maybe in the, the version you're using this morning. 
Uh, I, I don't think that's real helpful. I think it misleads the reader to think in terms of sensuality and, and, and sexual lust only. In other versions, like the one that we're uh, reading from today, the words translated desires. But that's not always so helpful either. Uh, Because it it can lead us to think that desires are bad. And desires in and of themselves are not bad. In fact, desires are God-given. It's part of of being human. They are a good gift from a good creator. Well, so then what's the deal? Well, the deal is this. The word epithumia, and, and you might think of it in terms of a compound word. It literally means epi desire, over desire inordinate desire in other words it's desire gone wild an all-consuming drive and appetite epithumia is hyper desire okay so think about it this way do you have a pulse this morning i take it by your laughter you do I hope that you have a pulse this morning. In fact, I hope it lasts at least through the end of the service today. Uh, But seriously, like desire, a pulse is a good thing. It's a God-given thing. You need a heartbeat to live. But a hyperpulse is a bad thing. It's a good thing gone wild. A good thing shifted into overdrive, thus becoming a bad thing. And a bad thing that can kill. And so you see that the main problem is not so much that we desire bad things, but that we often over-desire good things. Our fallen sinful nature turns something good into a God for us, telling telling us that we must have this thing. We've got to have this hyper-desire. And we need it. We need it if we're we're going to really have security, significant satisfaction. You see, these over-desires are sinful because they deny that God is all we need. Okay, so here's a a personal example. Uh, I have a good desire to preach well. Of course I want to preach well. This is God's perfect word. And I want to be able to communicate it in a way that is clear and concise and, and helping people hear the truth and the grace of what God says to us. But inevitably, during just about any week that that I'm preparing a sermon, inevitably at some point, typically on Friday or Saturday, an over-desire kicks in. It's an inordinate amount of vigilance. Now, vigilance in and of itself is a good thing. To stand on guard, to pay attention, that's a good thing. But all of a sudden, it, it shifts into becoming an inordinate amount of vigilance. A hyper-vigilance, also known as anxiety. When you experience anxiety, you are experiencing a hyper-vigilance. Now, so when that's going on for me in these sermon prep weeks, you know, what, what's behind all that? Well, not only do I want to preach well, but I also become very focused on I've got to get it all right. And even beyond that, well, and, and, and I hope that people... Not just hear this well, but I hope they think well of me. And so in the back of my mind, or maybe in the forefront of my mind, comes the, those questions. Well, what if I mess this thing up? You know, what, what are, are people going to think less of me when they leave? 
And, and so at those moments, I lose sight of my identity in Christ and my identity becomes rooted. It becomes based on how well or how poorly I preach. And it's because in those moments, my heart is being controlled by an over-desire that is telling me that I must have this thing. I've got to have it for real security, significance, and satisfaction. And that's the conflict within. It's the battle between the hyper-desires of the flesh, my fallen, sinful nature, and the good desires of the Spirit, my regenerate new nature. And so that's why we struggle. That's why we struggle to live as those who have been set free. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, that leads to our third and final question. And so lastly, how do we learn to live in freedom? How do we learn to live as those set free in Christ? Well, the good news is we've actually already taken one significant step. We've taken that step by learning the precise nature of the battle, because as the saying goes, knowing is half the battle, right? So half the battle. We now know the precise nature. Well, now let's take a look at verse 18. It says, if you are led by the Spirit, and I want to be very clear, if you are a Christian, if you have looked to Jesus, put your faith in him, then you are led by by the Spirit. And if you are led by the Spirit, then you are now truly free to learn freedom. You are now truly free to learn freedom. Think about my friend Igor. When he was under communism, was he free to learn freedom? No. When communism fell, was he then free to learn freedom? Yes. But it was a process. It took time. As he confessed, yes, we've been set free. But it's an entirely different thing to live free. And so in Christ, you are now free to learn to live in freedom. You are now free by the power of the Spirit in you, free to become who you were created to be. Free to grow in Christ-like character. Now, we, we often think of freedom as, as having no boundaries, no rules, right? But that's to, that's to misunderstand freedom. Like Elsa in, in the animated film Frozen, when she sings, It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, I'm free. Well, that also makes me think of a series of Ford truck commercials that I really loved several years ago. So at the time, the slogan was, Ford Trucks, No Boundaries. And I just thought it was great. Ford trucks, no boundaries. And so there was a series of commercials, and there was one that would show the Ford Explorer driving over cities. Okay, not through them, but like over top of cities. And then there was another one that showed the Explorer driving just straight up, a straight vertical, the, the rockiest, steepest incline you could imagine. Of course, you know, small print at the bottom of the screen, do not try this at home. But my favorite of all was the one that showed the Ford Explorer driving underwater. And I thought, that's the one I want. And they were getting to me because, you see, at the time, I was driving an older model uh, Ford Explorer. And I remember thinking how great it would be to be driving my Explorer with no boundaries. And, you know, driving it underwater 
It isn't freedom. It's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. It just, it just won't work. And so you see, you are only free in your explorer when you drive it as it was intended, as it was created to be driven. And so it is with us. True freedom is to live as we were created to live. That's true freedom. True freedom is to live as we were created to live. And we were created to live as love God, love neighbor people, just like Jesus. In fact, we even get a a glimpse of that in our passage. We get a taste of it, the familiar fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 and 23. You see, we were created to look like Jesus, to reflect Christ-like character. And now, in Christ, by the power of His Spirit, we are free to truly learn freedom. We are free to learn to live in this way. Well, as we near the end of the sermon, uh, note how Paul ends this section of his letter. Take a look, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. So he's making a distinction between live and walk. In other words, if we live by the Spirit... And if you are in Christ, you have been made alive. So if we have been made alive by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the power of the Spirit. Let us not walk in our own power. Let us walk in the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that made us alive in Christ. Now, if if this verse sounds familiar, it's probably because Paul is uh, rephrasing, uh, answering positively an earlier question he posed to the Galatians when he said to them, chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And there's that Greek word again, sarks. Are you now being perfected, conformed to the image of Jesus by the flesh? Or another translation, being perfected by human effort. Well, now, at this point in his letter, Paul has already rooted the Galatians and our justification in grace. And now, he is clearly rooting our sanctification in grace as well. If you were here a month ago, you probably remember justification, that we've been forgiven of sin and accepted as righteous by God. And justification that we are increasingly being made to be like Jesus. As we work out, not work for, but work out our salvation through the power of the Spirit. Well, reflecting on our sanctification, uh, as as I've mentioned before, PCA missionary uh, Josiah Bancroft speaks of a repenting faith. Now, saying that these are really the two steps of walking by the Spirit. When you think about walking, one step after another after another. It's the two steps of repentance and faith. And he says that as we, as we walk in this way, as we walk repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, day by day, that we will have a decreasing confidence in ourselves 
and an increasing confidence in the Spirit to transform our lives. So where's your confidence? Where do you put your trust day in and day out? And and I'm not talking about what what you profess or our intellectual assent, but, but functionally, in whom are you relying day by day as you seek to grow up in Christ? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by your own human effort? Or are you walking by the power of the Spirit? Well, John Stott has an excellent illustration uh, that I recently used and and just have to to use it again. And it's one that he gets. It comes from uh, William Temple, who says it so well. It's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But, but if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could learn to live a life like that. And this is the secret of Christian sanctification. It's not that we should strive in our own strength to live a life like Jesus, but that he, by his spirit, should come and live in us and change us as we actively trust in him. To have him as our example is not enough. We need him as our Savior. We not only needed him as our Savior when we first came to Christ, when we first became a Christian, we need him as our Savior today and every day. And so you see what that means is that we must live in constant dependence on Jesus which happens to be the way that we learn to walk by the Spirit. In other words, to walk by the Spirit is to stay rooted in the very grace of Jesus, which we do through continual repentance and faith. The two steps of walking by the Spirit. Now, remember, learning to walk is not easy, nor is it instant. And that could be when you're learning as a a young child, which most of us don't remember. But maybe you've had to learn to walk again through rehabilitation. Learning to walk is not easy, nor is it instant. Learning to walk is both hard work and also a long process. And that applies to every single one of us. Because all of us in Christ, we are all people in process, learning to walk. And we all have to actively engage with the Spirit who is at work within us as we learn to live by faith. And you know what? What else? We, We all stumble and fall along the way. All of us, no doubt. But God. But God is for us. He loves us. He delights in us. And He is at work within us. And so, brothers and sisters, that's why we continually look to Jesus. And as those now alive by His Spirit, 
let us also walk by the very same Spirit. For as Paul says elsewhere, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk in Him. For that's how we learn to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, our good and gracious God, O Lord, how we thank you for the gift of your indwelling spirit, that we might know you both personally and also powerfully at work within us. Thank you that in Christ, through faith, we are now free to grow in living out freedom, free to learn freedom, free to to grow in grace and godliness. And so would you help us now, help us to trust you more, walking by the Spirit and living in true freedom. Amen.